Thank you, worship team, for leading us today in worship. Well, you know that our theme for 2024 here at First Baptist Arlington is together. As I spent my time in July studying, praying, preparing for this year, I just felt drawn to that theme and felt compelled to um, address it with you as a church family as we were uh, still coming out of COVID and dealing with all the effects of a pandemic. I feel this calling for us to be together. And so we've already finished uh, the winter season, although it doesn't feel like it outside, does it? Um, what I mean by is the liturgical winter season, um, together in Christ Jesus, where we looked at the book of Ephesians. And now we're in the Lenten Easter season, and our theme is together in ascent. And so that imagery actually comes from a collection of psalms in our Bibles. You know, when you look at the book of Psalms, um, there are various collections within the book of Psalms. And Psalms numbered 120 through 134 are known as the Psalms of Ascent. And these Psalms, we believe, were read or sung by Israelites as they engaged in their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festivals in the holy city. They were intended to prepare them to be in the presence of God in his holy temple. In the ancient world, if you were a Jewish male and you lived outside of Israel, and as time progressed, particularly by the time you get to the time of Jesus, there are more Jewish men and women living outside of Israel than in Israel, which is obviously true today as well. And so the goal, the challenge was, as a Jewish male in particular, you were supposed to at least one time in your life be in Israel, be in Jerusalem for one of these festivals. And so you can imagine as people made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, uh, they were on a journey together and they made their way toward Jerusalem and Jerusalem is on a hill. And so the physical part of the journey was an ascent, if you will. And so over time, these psalms were collected, and presumably, as you made your way toward Jerusalem, you would sing these psalms together, as families, as groups, whoever was traveling together. And the point was, you were about to be, for some people, it's a trip of a lifetime, you were going to be in Jerusalem and visiting the temple. And um, it was there where you believed as a Jew, this was God's enthronement on earth. It's the holiest place on planet earth. So this is the trip of a lifetime, and you didn't just want to show up, you want to be ready. These psalms were designed to prepare the heart of the worshiper, okay? So we're going to use them in our journey this year uh, for Easter. We began our journey Wednesday night here in the sanctuary with our Ash Wednesday service. And many of you were here for that. It was a very powerful, humble night of worship. But you know that we've prepared this devotional guide for you. I hope you've gotten one of these. They're available online if you didn't get a paper copy, but you can get one. And uh, you'll discover that this guide is there for you every week as we make our journey toward Easter Sunday. And you'll notice that in the material that we've prepared for you, there's a section called Together in Word. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to use some narrative material from the Gospel of Mark because I want to make sure we're connected to the story of Jesus. But then also we're going to use the Psalms of Ascent. And we're going to ascend 
to um, Jerusalem, if you will, in our own journey together. I'll be preaching from the Psalms of Ascent all the way through the season. And, uh, and then there will be psalms that we'll read through in this material. And then also you'll notice that we have another section entitled Together Indeed. And that's where we want to challenge you to take what we're learning and put it into practice in your real life. So I hope you'll get a copy of, of this devotional guide. So today I want us to look at one of the psalms of ascent. It's the second one in our Bibles, Psalm numbered 121. I've entitled it Look Up. It's a very beautiful poem familiar psalm, I'm sure, to you. And um, this particular psalm demonstrates the poet's use of a certain literary device. It's called anadiplosis. If you're a poetry major, a literature major in college, you're familiar with anadiplosis. It, that word actually means a Greek word that means to, um, to double something, to repeat something. And it's very common in poetic literature to do that. The Hebrews were fond of it. And so you'll notice you'll, you'll take a word or a phrase and then repeat it in the next strophe or in the next line or in the next section. And it's a way of building momentum and it's a literary device to deepen your understanding of the point of the, of the poem in the first place. And so the author of Psalm 121 will utilize that literary technique. So let's look at this text, very familiar one to you, um, Psalm 121. Here's what the text says. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Verse 2, my help You'll notice there's the uh, anadiplosis. There's a repetitive word. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches, there's another example, he watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Once again, a beautiful poem and one of the Psalms of Ascent. So here's where I want to begin with us this morning. I want you to think about this. The imagery of this psalm is one of a journey, of a pilgrimage. And so we are pilgrims on what I would call a sacramental journey. Um, this text, as I said, was, we believe, primarily written for people who were on a physical journey. So the imagery is that of a journey. So I want you to think about, in the ancient world, journeying somewhere. This psalm is addressing the perils that you would experience on an ancient, physical, literal journey. If you lived outside of Israel or even inside of Israel and you're trying to walk to Jerusalem, you would face all kinds of challenges. So just try to imagine taking that trip. And just remember there, were, there was no GPS back in those days. Um, there were no Buckies. So I know you Texans would have a really difficult time. You, you can't go 75 or 80 miles without a Buckies. So just imagine there's no rest areas. That's, that's not what was happening. These people were facing the perils of travel in the ancient world. So it was an arid climate. So think about it during the day. There was the scorching heat. Uh, depending on where they were in the desert, in the evenings, it could get really cold. But also, they had to face the challenges of humanity. Because if you, if you don't think that there were people in the ancient world who knew that some of these paths that led to Jerusalem were filled with pilgrims, well, then you don't understand the, uh, the human psyche very well. There were bandits. 
There were all kinds of thieves planted along the way because they knew that these Jews were on their way to Jerusalem. And guess what? On their way to Jerusalem, they had goods with them. They had to pay a temple tax. They had to make sacrifices. So sometimes they would even have their own animals with them or they would have enough money to purchase or they would have goods to sell once they arrived in Jerusalem. And so they would face the terror of bandits or wild animals uh, or the lack of water. There's all kinds of things that were, were going to challenge them as they made their way on a journey like this. And so when you, when you look at this psalm, evidently this is a psalm or a song that they sang to each other. Now, I, I don't know what y'all do when you're on trips with your kids, those of you who've done that. You, you probably have songs you sing in the car, you know, silly songs or fun songs, or maybe you play 20 questions, that's what we do, or get on the train, or I mean, we have all these little games that we do. Well, these ancient people, they had things that they did as they traveled, but as they got closer to Jerusalem, it took a more serious turn for them. They were preparing themselves to be in the presence of a holy God. And so evidently this psalm was to be sung back to each other. So if you look at verses 1 and 2, notice here's the leader. The leader speaks in the first person. I'm lifting my eyes to the mountains. Where's my help come from? And then notice verse 3, you shift to the second person. He will not let your foot slip. He will watch over you. He will not slumber. So many scholars believe that there's a leader, and the leader of the family or whatever, he's the one who will speak the first part of the psalm, and then the group will respond back to him with words of encouragement about God's protection over them. So <coughs> this image of the journey is very powerful. Well, think about it. You and I right now, we may not be on a, on a physical journey somewhere. That, that's not necessarily the point for us today per se. But the image of journey is woven throughout the scripture. And so for us as Christians, what I would say is we are on what I like to call a sacramental journey. The word sacramental in English is an interesting word. Um, we don't use it a whole lot as, as Baptists, but it's a, it's a good word. It actually comes from a Latin word. The Latin word is sacramentum. And if you'll notice at the beginning of that word, you'll see sacra. And sacra means holy in Latin. And so whenever Jerome translated the Bible into Latin from Greek and Hebrew, every time Jerome came to the Greek word musterion, which means mystery in English, he used the word sacramentum in Latin. So sacramental has the idea of a holy mysterious journey and that's what we're on as I said the motif of journey is found throughout the scripture in the New Testament the Greek word for walk is used many times in the New Testament more often than not it refers to life be careful where you walk be careful how you walk well those are images that have to do with how you live and so the sacramental journey is a very powerful image to me in fact some of you may be new at our church and you don't know that I actually have a website called the sacramentaljourney.org and you can make your way to it and it has all kind of information for you free resources to help you understand how better to follow the way of Jesus and I would point you to that so with that said, let's begin with the obvious message of this psalm, and that is we all need help. Y'all know that though, don't you? We just need help to live this life. In fact, the person sitting next to you may not know that, so look at them right now. Look at your neighbor and say, you need help, <clears throat> okay? 
because the deal is they may not even know how badly they need it, but I'm here to tell you, everybody needs it. The journey to Jerusalem, these people knew. It was hard. They needed help. But in their mind, what they were thinking about was how God was going to help them in their lives. And so it was difficult terrain, it was challenging for them, arid climate, they knew they needed help. But you know, the journey of life is filled with challenging terrain. And here's what I've discovered about living. If you live long enough on this planet, you'll, you'll learn just how much help you need. In fact, if you live long enough, here's what's going to happen to you. You'll get old. If you live long enough, you may not think about it right now, but you'll get old. And guess what? Along the way, you're going to face all kinds of experiences where you need help. Unexpected twists and turns. So I don't know where you are right now, but here's what I do know. We're called upon sometimes to make huge decisions in our lives, and we need help. You may be deciding where to go to school graduating from high school and you got to decide, am I, am I going to college? Am I not going to college? Where am I going to go to college? You get to college and then all of a sudden you're forced to make a decision about your life. What am I going to major in? What am I going to minor in? Where am I going to focus my energy, my attention? Then you, you fall in love with someone. You say, well, am I going to marry this person? Or am I not going to marry this person? And then once you get married, you have other decisions to make. Am I going to stay married to this person? Are we going to have children? How are we going to rear our children? What kind of job am I going to give myself to? How do I decide what my career is going to be? Are we going to buy this home? We're going to buy that home. Are we going to live in this neighborhood? Are we going to move to this city or that city? And it seems like the list is endless. They're just decisions where... We're called upon at these major intersections of our lives to try to decide, what am I going to do right now? We need help. But you also just have transitions in life. As you age, things change. You know, as, as, as you get older, your kids get older, and your kids transfer from, they transition rather from being young all of a sudden into teenagers, and then they become young adults, and you start watching them make decisions, and figure out their own lives and so often the decisions they make have impact back on your life and you try to navigate that you become grandparents and then you are engaged with uh, with grandkids and you're watching these grandkids grow up and try to encourage and bless them <clears throat> by the way yesterday speaking of grandkids my uh, my granddaughter ada she scored a basket yesterday i have it here on video um I'll show it to y'all later. It's a fourth, fifth, and sixth grade basketball game. Fourth graders shooting over sixth graders. It's pretty cool. We may, maybe we'll put it on at the end of the service. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's really good. Well, you have grandchildren, and you watch them, and, you know, you explore life with them. Um, and then you face all kinds of things. You have to come to grips with things like illnesses and debilitating things that can happen along the way. And, and then uh, death. Maybe the... Maybe the death of a child or the death of a, of a parent, the death of a sibling or the death of a dream maybe or the death of a spouse. And then there's all these, all these emotions that come uh, where we need help to navigate grief and loss and, 
anxiety and despair and brokenness and with relational challenges. We face issues in relationships where we're troubled and there's brokenness in how we relate to each other. And families have all kinds of systemic issues and we get pulled into cycles of behavior and dis-ease. And the bottom line is, y'all, we need help. We all do. So this psalm has become a, a, a psalm of encouragement to the people of God for centuries. Not just the ones who are on the way to Jerusalem, but for all of us. And here's the good news. According to this text and what I've learned, our help comes from the Lord. Praise his name. Just imagine the psalmist. Let's just imagine you're on this journey, long, arduous journey. And then you get to a certain point and they're on the horizon. There it is, Jerusalem. And it sits on a hill. And you see that and you know that that's the, that's the place of your ancestors. You, you know that that's the city of David. You know that that's where the temple of Solomon was. You know that that's where the people of God have gathered to worship for centuries. And finally, you get to, you get to lay your own eyes on it. And it's, there it is in front of you and there's great hope in it. The psalmist is saying, look up. Look up in the hills. We can see it. And, and I believe it's a strong word of encouragement. As a matter of fact, that imagery is found throughout the Psalms of Ascent. Look up. That'd be my advice to you today. Wherever you find yourself today, look up. As a matter of fact, Psalm 123, if you still have your Bibles open, the, the psalmist is another song of ascent. He says in Psalm 123, verse 1, I lift my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. In other words, I'm looking up. That, that's the admonition. That's the encouragement. Look under the hills. Look into the mountains. Look up, if you will. Where does my help come from? Well, I love that word help here in, in this text. Uh, in Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word is azer, which has a little different meaning than our word help. When I think of the word help, I think about me maybe coming along to just assist you a little bit. You know, I, I, maybe you're moving and I'll just come help you a little bit or bring you some assistance. That's not really what this word means. That's what our word means. This word is deeper, more profound. It's richer than that. It's found 20 times in its nominal form in the Old Testament. 13 times it's a declaration of God's ability to deliver. It's not just help like assist us. This is a statement about God, that God stands ready to deliver you, to rescue you, to change your life, to address what you need right now in your circumstances. And when he intervenes, everything changes. That's what this word means. He's not just there to give you some assistance. It's more than that. There's power to intervene. There's power to deliver you. There's strength so that you can overcome what you're facing. Now, how can you trust that? How can, how can you know that that's who this person is, this God? Well, I want you to notice what he says in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. And who is the Lord? Well, he's the maker of heaven and earth. That's who he is. And maybe you need to be reminded of that today. The Lord that you're calling upon is glorious. He's the maker of heaven and earth. You know, years ago, I was asked to teach preaching at Truett Seminary which I agreed to do. I did it for eight years uh, while I was your pastor. I drove down every Wednesday and taught. And what I told the, the team at Truett was my PhD is not in preaching. It's not in homiletics. You can have a PhD in preaching. My PhD is in church history. Um, but they asked me to teach preaching. So I spent eight years operating without a license, so to speak. I really wasn't trained in that field. It's what I do for a living, but it's not my academic training. Um, anyway, well, so as I was preparing for it, I started reading 
um, what other preaching professors were doing across the country because I just wanted to learn. I wanted to sense looking at people's curriculum and I solicited some of that. And so one of the professors I ran across was teaching preaching at Princeton Seminary. And, um, and so as I was reading through what he did, here's what he said he did. He said he would wait until his students graduated from seminary, were out in ministry preaching at a, at a church, and he would then go see them to hear them. And he said he would always tell them, I'm coming to hear you. He didn't want to surprise them. He said, I'm coming to hear you. And here's what he told them. He said, when I come to hear you, I'm not coming to critique your preaching. Here's what I want to know. I want to know, are you a little godder or a big godder? That's what I'm listening for. In other words, do you have a little God or a big God? What are you preaching? Well, here, I'm here to tell you all this morning, we have a big God. He's the maker of heaven and earth. So if you think he can't intervene in your life, then you have sold him way short. Because I'm just here to tell you, he is powerful enough to intervene in your life, to deliver you, to redeem your circumstances, to help you overcome whatever it is that you're facing. Because he is powerful and his presence brings power. And so this psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord. And he's the maker of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Now here's the good news. Here's the real point of the psalm though. The basic point of Psalm 121 is this. The maker of heaven and earth is also the one who watches over us. So he's watching over you. It's another Hebrew word, shamar. And the Hebrew word shamar doesn't mean he's watching like he's just looking. It actually means he's guarding, he's protecting. It's, it's an active word. He's engaged in something in your life. He is going to protect and guard you. As a matter of fact, that word shamar is used, it's, it's used several times in, in this psalm. As you make your way verses 3 through 8, you'll find it used six times watching, guarding, and I love it. And so the, the text, if you'll look at Psalm 121, the, the NIV helps you kind of capture the, the plan of the poem. It's divided into these strophes, if you will. The verses 1 and 2 is one, verses 3 and 4 is another, 5 and 6, 7 and 8. Each one of them has a different aspect, if you will, to teach us about God. The first one is just to let us know he's our helper. But then the real gist of the message is he's our guardian, and I love the imagery that he provides for us. If, if you look at, like, look at verse 3 and 4. Here's what he says in verse 3 and 4. He's comparing the God of Israel to the ancient pagan gods. And if y'all know anything about ancient mythology, you know that in almost every culture, every civilization in the ancient world had these pagan gods, these mythological gods. And they were basically superhumans. And so they had human-like qualities. So here's what's fascinating about them. They had to sleep. And so you would find ways written into the mythology how these priests who would help the, people, the ancient people worship, one of the things that they would do occasionally was they had to wake up their gods. You know, their, their gods could be asleep, so they had, to, they had to engage in activity. The prophets of Baal sometimes would bang on these pans, if you will. You got, you got to wait. Baal, Baal's napping. He's, he's out. We got to wake him up. And the psalmist uses two different words. He says he doesn't slumber. That means, that means he doesn't nod off, you know. You know, like y'all do sometimes on Sunday morning. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't nod off, you know. It's not real deep sleep, you know, because you got that neck correction. It'll kind of, it'll kind of you know, bump you out of it. But, but the, then he says he also doesn't sleep. Well, that's the word for deep sleep. So he's saying, look, he doesn't just kind of nod off, and then he doesn't just full out, he's not just ever full out dead asleep. That's not our God. We don't have to wake our God up. Our God's always awake. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. As a matter of fact, he says, so because of that, look at, look at the text, verse 3. He'll watch over your path. 
He won't let your foot slip. He won't let the path give way. Now, think about that. If you're on a physical journey, that's an important word. You know, that you won't lose your footing, that you won't fall off the side of a mountain, those kinds of things. But the point is for us is he, he'll keep you on the right path. He'll make sure that you have what you need for where you are right now. You can trust him to guide your steps. You can trust him to open doors. You can trust him to provide for you because he's never asleep. He's watching over your way. He's watching over your path. He's, he's protecting you along the way. And then maybe my favorite one's verse 5 and 6. Look at what he says in, in verse 5 and 6. He's your, he's your shade at your right hand. Well, you know, in the ancient world, if, if you know anything about the way they, they fought, um, once shields were invented, because that, that imagery of the right hand is found all through ancient literature. It's found in the scripture as well. The soldier would always hold the shield in his left hand and the instrument of war in his right hand. And so the imagery was when the soldier was prepared for battle, his right side was always exposed because the left side is shielded. Does that make sense? So you always wanted to trust the guy who stood where? But you're right. You want to make sure you had an ally to the right because that's where you're most exposed. And so you'll find that imagery of being at the right hand of someone, how important that was. So the psalmist says, okay, I'm, in a, I'm on a journey. I, I'm covered right here, but I'm exposed right here. And I look over here and guess what? The Lord is a shade on my right side. It, it's like there's a canopy covering me. That God knows the, where I'm most vulnerable. And while I'm on this journey, where I'm most vulnerable, guess what? God is right there to protect me. And he says this. He says that he's going to protect you from the, the rays of the sun. They won't harm you by day. That, that word harm means to strike you um, like, like, like you've been, um, you know, you're getting sunburned, you know, by the rays of the sun, how harmful that can be. He says the sun or the moon by night, which I find quite fascinating. Well, think about the imagery for a person on a journey like that. You know, the evening was when you were susceptible. That's when the bandits, wild animals, all kinds of things seem to happen at night. And so the, the, the imagery is God is there with us. He's protecting us while we're on our journey during the day. And then at night when we're asleep or when we're vulnerable. But you know the ancient people, I don't know if y'all ever read much about this, but you know ancient people were very superstitious about the moon. Y'all know this, do you? They had all kind of theories about the moon. The whole lunar cycle for many ancient people was fascinating to them. And that's because they, they did their calendaring according to the full moon. And so they studied the moon a lot. But it was interesting how they saw it. They felt like many ancient people felt like the moon had power over human beings. And it comes out in their language. So, for example, you know, when you're reading in the New Testament and, and someone will have a seizure in front of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about, a couple of those stories. Y'all know the Greek, in, in the New Testament, you know what the Greek word for seizure is? It means to be moonstruck. Isn't that fascinating? Struck by the power of the moon would cause you to go into some kind of seizure. That was an ancient superstition, and it found its way into the language. The whole infatuation with just lunar power. Actually, you and I have a word. Do y'all know the word lunatic? You know where that comes from? It's the idea that the cycles of the moon, the lunar cycle causes people to be insane. And they were called lunatics. It's even in our language. And so what does the psalmist say? The psalmist says, well, guess what? The Lord is a shade to me during the day when I'm susceptible to the rays of the sun. But whatever the moon has, <laughs> whatever power you think it has, he's a shade over me as well. 
and he protects me from it. It's like I'm under this canopy, if you will, of the protective hand of God. It's a powerful word about him caring for us. And then he's not done. Look at verse 7, 7 and 8. It says, the Lord's going to keep you from all harm. Now, that's a different word in verse 7. The word for harm in verse 6 is like the striking of a sun ray. In verse 7, the word for harm is disaster, evil. You, you, you've been overwhelmed and harmed by evil. Well, no, the psalmist says, even that's not going to happen. Your life, and he uses kind of this popular phrase, you're going and you're coming. In other words, just how you're living your life, God's always going to be there guarding, caring, loving, watching over you. He's going to protect you. He's going to give you what you need to face the challenges of your life. It's not a promise that you're going to be shielded from all suffering. That, that's, that's not true. That's not really what the Bible teaches. God's not going to exempt us from things that just happened to us. We're going to all have to face them. But here's what he is saying. When you and I find ourselves in those really difficult, challenging places of life, just be reminded the Lord is still there watching and caring and providing. You're not on your own. You're not all by yourself. You're actually standing there with his power and his presence that you can call upon even to face the hard times in your life. And there are examples of, of it in the scripture over and over and over and over and over. Um, Moses. Moses had spent 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. He was, he was 40 years removed from being a prince in Egypt. And then God, God caused him to go back and stand in front of Pharaoh, the most, most powerful man on the planet. And Moses has to go and stand in the presence of Pharaoh under the protection and guardianship of his Lord. David, when he was a young man, stood in front of Goliath, this terrible Philistine soldier that had struck terror in the hearts of Israel. Daniel stood in the lion's den and faced down these lions. Actually, the Bible says he turned his back on them so he could hear a message from God. And Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they were thrown into that fiery furnace. I know most of the, we don't normally call them by their given names, but those are their Hebrew names. Y'all know them better by their Babylonian nicknames. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you get to heaven and you see them, don't call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not their names. Their names are Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Those are their, these are Hebrew people. Those are their names, their given names. But you know, it, don't, it doesn't always work out that way, though, does it? You don't always get delivered from the lion's den. That's not how it works. You don't always get delivered from the fiery furnace. Stephen, Acts chapter 7, the Bible says Stephen stood up and preached that powerful message. And you come to the end of the story, what happened to Stephen in Acts 7? He's going to get drugged away and stoned to death. But you remember what the Bible says? The Bible says this, Stephen said, behold, what did he do? He, he looked up and he said, behold, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know, it's the only time in the New Testament I know of we find the Son of Man standing. The Bible says the Son of Man, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of God, doesn't it? But evidently, to welcome the very first martyr into glory, the Son of Man stood up. And even in the middle of being stoned and suffering and offering up his life as a martyr, Stephen had a glimpse of glory, and he saw that he was not by himself, and it gave him great encouragement and great strength. Here's the point, y'all. No matter what, I don't know what it is you're going to have to face. I don't know where you're going to have to go. I don't know what you're going to be called upon to deal with. I don't know how hard it's going to be. I don't know how deep the water is going to get. I don't know how hard it's going to rain. I don't know how long the storm is going to last. But here's what I know. You will never face it by yourself because your Lord never slumbers nor sleeps. 
He will watch over you. The beauty of this text is you need help. So do I. When you need help, look up. Where's your help come from? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Praise his name. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, today we, we're grateful, Lord. We are. We know that uh, we're called upon to experience highs and lows in this old world. And I have no idea what everybody in this, world, in this room may be facing, people within the sound of my voice. And so, Lord, I just pray over them right now, whatever it is, relationship challenges, challenges about the future, job uncertainty, grief, loss, decision-making, just all kinds of things that come our way, whatever it may be. Right now, Lord, I pray that you'll encourage and bless our people to look up and ask the question, where does my help come from? And then declare the truth. It's from you, the maker of heaven and earth. I ask, Lord, for you to be a help for our people, whatever it is they may be facing. And may we sense your presence and the power of your hand at work in our lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.